Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, back for another edition of the Bad Podcast. That's B-A-D, Talking Ohio State Football. It's Bill Landis, it's Ari Wasserman, and I'm Doug Maurice. We write for Cleveland.com. Come read our stories. Cleveland.com slash OSU. It's been like a huge week. This is like a crazy busy week. We talked to a bunch of good players. We have like 10, 15 stories a day. We have too much to write about. And too much to talk about because we will be covering Ohio State, Penn State, in Ohio Stadium. Black on, jerseys. On Saturday night, black jerseys. And this will be now a four-hour podcast about the shade of black. How on earth did you wait 40 seconds before black jerseys? And how many <laughs> black jerseys? <laughs> it's not the game of the week, though. The game of the week in the Big Ten is Michigan State, Michigan. And so as we... Roll into this. We're going to talk Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State all in one discussion. But Ari, what I'm been noticing a little bit on Twitter, I think, is are do you think Ohio State fans are getting nervous? Maybe is the word. Maybe there's a better word. Worried? I don't know. Are they getting nervous or worried about Michigan? I do think they are because it's. Uh, I got a lot of messages this past week um, on Twitter and. I even got a few emails saying, what do you think is going to happen in the Michigan game? And if Michigan was 3-3 three and three or 2-4 and four right now, I don't think I'd be getting those emails. So every game that Michigan not only wins, but does it in a very impressive fashion to beat Northwestern the way they did, three straight shutouts. And of course, it's the Harbaugh factor. I think even the sense of if Hoke was, you know, 5-1 and one or, you know, just the idea that there's an intimidating coach that knows what he's doing, I think that it's starting to be on Ohio State's radar uh, to a certain extent that, that probably wouldn't have existed, at least on my time on the beat so far. And we, we knew there was a Harbaugh factor, but this is really becoming a Harbaugh reality with what we're seeing here. D- do you think, Bill, that if Ohio State fans are worried or nervous, that that's reasonable? Like, is that, as, as Ohio State sits here as the number one team in the country, the defending national champion, 6-0, and should they be freaked out about the Wolverines? Yeah, I think maybe a little bit. It seems like a lot of the discussion on our, our website in the, the comments section is no one's really that concerned with Ohio State right now because they all say, oh, look till the end of the year, look till the end of the year. Those are the two games that are going to matter, being Michigan State and Michigan. And now all of a sudden, 
in addition to Michigan State being really good for the last two years and, and a formidable, formidable opponent, now Michigan has shut out three straight teams and, and looks for real, and they got Harbaugh, and they got old 1974 uniforms, and they look like a real team. Their uniforms are ideas, though, Bill. Not for long. <laughs> yeah, not for long. So we uh, had a story um, this morning about Ohio State's uniforms. We'll get more into that. Um, you know, but I, I do think the black uniforms are a pretty cool thing. Um, but, you know, they might be wearing them about six weeks too early because I know that usually they dust them off for that Michigan game. Now it's starting to look a lot more like uh, it'd be appropriate to have them for that. They're going to wear clear uniforms. For the that'd be weird. Neon, that'd, be neon. A, that'd be an uncomfortable football game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works. You didn't think that one through, clear did you? Uniforms <laughs> against Michigan. Uh, did not think that through at all. No, no, I didn't. Doug, save us. Do you guys know anything about me? You're just making things up about Michigan at this point. So we, we are going to... Uh, bring in someone who does know about Michigan, and if you are an Ohio State fan and a loyal reader of Cleveland.com, and you are intrigued this week by a... See, I was in the other room getting the phone ready, and I don't know what Bill and Ari said, and Ari has, like, soda coming out his nose, and it makes me nervous. Bill said, Ohio, Bill said Ohio State would be wearing clear uniforms against Michigan this year, but he didn't think it through. <laughs> We have someone who knows Michigan. We have Nick Baumgartner from MLive.com. And again, if if you care about this Michigan-Michigan State game, and if you're an Ohio State fan, you should, go to MLive.com. That's our sister site, and they are totally covering this game because they have Michigan writers and Michigan State writers. So you can read all about both teams, all about Ohio State's two biggest challengers, all about this game, all in one place. Nick Baumgartner, thank you for joining us here on the Bad Podcast. What's up, guys? Hey, Nick. Nick, here is our question that we are trying to figure out. How good is Michigan really? We've seen highlights. We've we've recorded some of the games when we get home. How good is this team really at this point in the year? Yeah, I think we'll have a better answer to that uh, after after Saturday's game in terms of uh, are they really, really good or are they just good? Because I think that they've done enough so far um, to uh, to have us kind of say that they're, they're, this is a good football team. You know, This is a team that can threaten and challenge anybody in the league. Uh, I think that's real. Now, are they are they a serious, serious contender for the Big Ten title or, or the division or whatever you want to call it? Uh, I think we have to sort of wait until uh, after Saturday's game to just determine that. Uh, but I think the, the the answer right now is is that their defense is legit. Uh, their offense, while it has some issues, appears to be improving somewhat, uh, and they have Jim Harbaugh. So all those three all those three things combined to me means that uh, Michigan can win just about any game it plays, and that that seems to be uh, the situation they're in right now. Nick, what is it that you're still wanting to see this weekend? Is it something specifically, maybe on offense, or is it just what them? Michigan playing against a team like Michigan State and how they handle that? I, the thing I would like to see, and I, it's not even a defensive thing, because I think Michigan's defense is for real. I, I don't think they're going to shut out Michigan State or anything like that, but I think they're certainly uh, you know, a top-tier defense that's going to cause problems for just about anybody to play. But what I'd like to see, really, from, from Michigan is, is, is you know, more growth up front offensively against a good defense. And you know Utah... Uh, was legit defense. They struggled against them. Northwestern, we, we thought, was uh, they didn't really have too many problems against Northwestern, but I'm still sort of, I don't know about Northwestern, I guess. I know Michigan State's front seven is, is very good, very explosive, 
if Michigan can run the ball and Michigan State, uh, sort of the way, you know, they had 200 yards last week against Northwestern, if Michigan can run the ball against Michigan State and Jake Murdoch can continue to play game manager, um, and they have some success, then that's, that's a big, big step because that, that to me means the offensive line improvement is really for real. And, uh, that's one of the questions I still have left is how, how good are they? I know they're better, but how much Nick, um, Everybody's aware of, of Jim Harbaugh and, and just his uh, coaching prowess, but like I, I, I noticed that you used to say this a lot on Twitter, at least last year, and you said it at the beginning of, of this year a little bit less, but the Michigan, I, the idea that Michigan always used to shoot itself in the foot. Can you talk about just the progression that this team has had in terms of limiting their own mistakes, and A, how much, how much better does this team seem coached to you, and, and um, is that just the Harbaugh impact that he's had on this team so far? Because it seems like they've always had some pretty solid talent, but but to put it all together the way they have. Oh, my God, yeah, it's night and day. I mean, it's like uh, just that sort of stuff just doesn't happen. I mean, you know, penalty, a penalty will happen here and there, sure, but the, you know, poor game management or just, you know, not knowing what uh, defense you're in or not knowing what play you're in or not being able to get the play from the sideline into the huddle in time before you're going to delay a game, or all those little just dumb things that they used to do, those those are all seemingly gone. I, I can't remember a time at all this year, even when Michigan lost uh, at Utah, where they ever looked like they were unorganized or uh, playing without efficiency. I mean, even, you know, they've had some turnovers, obviously, and they've had some issues there, um, but that's it. I mean, the penalties aren't really an issue. Uh, the, the stupid sideline errors don't really ever happen. Uh, they haven't happened at all. I don't think there's ever been a situation so far this year where you've said, well, I wonder what Harbaugh's doing there. I don't know why he's doing that. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, so that's just, they're all gone. I mean, that's that's the sign of a team that's properly coached. And like you said, there was talent on this team, especially on defense. Uh, and they were they were a good defense statistically over the last couple of years. Nobody really remembers that because the team struggled so bad on offense. Uh, and I think they've been able to let the offense sort of get out of its own way a little bit and just uh, do what it does best and, and kind of lean on that and then let the defense sort of dominate, and that's been the, the recipe for their success. I mean, we, we all knew that he was a good coach. I mean, you saw the record yeah. at San Francisco. You saw the record at Stanford. But, like, to witness it in person, is it even – is it any more than you thought it would be? Or is this what you thought? Yeah, when Harbaugh gets, you know – what I've heard, he's going to straighten this out and Michigan will look like this, or is it to an even gr- greater degree than you thought? Yeah, it is, because I keep telling myself like uh, that I'm surprised that it have, that it's, that it's sort of uh, ascended this quickly, but then I then I stop myself and I'm like, well, why are you surprised? Why did you think that this would be a thing? Because everybody you talk to, uh, you know, in January, December, and wherever, you know, earlier in the year that, that knows him real well and coached with him or played for him, all the things they tell you adds up to Within a month of coaching a team, they're going to be completely different with, with this guy because uh, he will get guys to buy in. These guys did have some talent, and why? Why? Why would you be surprised that they would look like a more physically uh, tougher, mentally tougher football team? I mean, it, but it is, and again, it is surprising because they were so bad at the end of last season, and to just be able to do a complete one hundred and eighty uh, and and have yourself looking like a you know Big Ten title contender in, in just like one off season, you know. It is surprising, but at the same time, if you look at what he did at Stanford with far less talent, and you look at the immediate impact he made with the 49ers, it probably shouldn't be surprising, because this is just what he's done everywhere he's been, and uh, that's that just sort of speaks to his sort of elite level uh, as a football coach. Nick, last one before we let you go, and thanks for your help on this. How many, on, on both sides of the ball, how many elite playmakers does this Michigan team have, 
And when you anticipate the talent level that Harbaugh will have when he has a full roster of his guys, like what percent, 1 to 100, is the talent level at now? Is it, a, is it 60%? Is it 90%? Who are, the, who are the guys that can make a difference, and what's the overall talent level based on, you know, compared to what you think it will be? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, on defense, I don't know how much higher it can really get. I mean, that, that's a really good talent defense. I mean, that's maybe 85, 90%. I mean, Jordan Lewis is looking like an All-American corner. They have some really tough flight defensive linemen. I mean, they've got NFL players on defense that are now kind of coming into their own. So, you know, they can improve maybe in some spots, but that, that's a pretty good uh, baseline for, for, for a defense. I don't think you can improve too much on that just because that's, that's a really good group. Offensively, though, is the thing. Uh, because there really aren't any. Uh, you know, Jake Budd is, is sort of an elite, you know, tight end talent, but there really are no play, uh, you know, game breaking receivers. There really isn't a game breaking running back, and they certainly don't have a game breaking quarterback. So when I look at it, when I see them play, and I see some of the stuff they draw up, and I see how college defenses have sort of reacted to it, there's a lot of times where Rudock, uh, has two or three options that are wide open downfield and he just can't see them. And he checks down. I mean, they, they, you know, Harbaugh and Jedfish and Colonel, they've called plays that have been so open that Michigan just hasn't hit. And you keep thinking to yourself, geez, if they had a quarterback who was, you know, Jake Rudock's good at what he does in terms of managing a game, but if they had a quarterback with really plus talent, then I don't know what they would be doing to people. Because that's that's where you look at the offense and say, if he can get another guy uh, that can really get it humming at quarterback, then uh, the offense could really take off. And, you know, that's, that's a, again, that speaks to his coaching uh, acumen, and I'm sure the talent will improve. It's just a matter of he's got to find a quarterback. And that's ultimately always the thing with Harbaugh. Until he finds that guy, the offense isn't going to really take off. But when he does, uh, you know, maybe look out. Read M Live this week, people. Nick Baumgardner, thank you for joining us. I'm very curious to see what happens. I know you are too. Uh, Good luck on Saturday, man. All right, guys. Be good. Thanks, Thanks, Nick. Nick. So back to the clear uniforms. <laughs> back to the clear uniforms. No, I, I think that the most interesting thing that I really took away from that is like you forget that like how important the quarterback position is in the sport, and then you forget that Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback guru, right? And you forget the fact that Michigan doesn't have a Harbaugh quarterback yet, and they're doing this, and I, I think their talent's only going to improve. <laughs> so I mean, I, I feel I feel like the discussion is like. All right, Ohio State, you better get them this year, or you are like screwed for the next decade. But but for like he's going to get Andrew Luck, or we have said you know Ohio State's getting yeah. ready to play Christian Hackenberg at Penn State, who was brought there by a quarterback guru and yeah. Bill O'Brien, and for the last two years has been a square peg in James Franklin's. Stop. God, I am really bad at this stuff. I feel like this is an adult free flowing podcast, but yet I still cross the line. He doesn't fit the system. There you go. That would get back to him, too. Yeah, like, no, James Frank would be, would be calling enough. us. He, he loves Ari, like a love-hate thing with Ari. Um, <laughs> but, but the next Christian Hackenberg that plays in the Big Ten is going to play at Michigan for, for Jim Harbaugh. So th- the thing that is hard to wrap your head around as you think ahead to Ohio State-Michigan is, if we're talking about a Michigan team with basically a tight end as their only offensive playmaker... How are Cardale Jones, Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, Michael Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott, Jalen Marshall? How are they? If you put Curtis Samuel on Michigan, he might. Yeah, he gets thirty touches a game. How is that team 
going to lose to Michigan, going to lose to a team with no playmakers. How could that happen? By dialing up the perfect game plan, which, I mean, it was interesting to me. One of the things Nick said is that Michigan's offense is doing things that college defenses haven't seen. And, like, all they're doing is running a pro-style offense and, like, handing the ball off to the fullback out of some weird looks and running play action and throwing to the tight end. So if that's fooling the defenses they're playing, I think there's some things you can do, even with subpar talent that, that we've seen teams do all year to this point, which gets Ohio State over-aggressive and, and over-pursuing against the run. And, and then that's when you throw it to Jake Butt. But you're right. With, with that kind of talent gap, I don't know. It's going to be tough to move the ball against Ohio so State. So what is, what is the talent gap? Ari is our recruiting guru, and, and the thing that is hard here is that we heard a lot about Brady Hoke's recruiting at Michigan the past couple years, and you look at a guy like Jabril Peppers, who was a guy that anybody in the country would have taken, that guy is dynamic. He's a that guy jumps off, off the film. So how, how great, Ari, from a recruiting standpoint, the Ohio State roster, the Michigan roster, how great is that talent gap? The, ga- the gap is big between Ohio State and everybody except Alabama. So you have to start off by understanding that that's going to be a thing all the time, no matter who Ohio State plays in the Big Ten, whether it's Michigan State or at this point Michigan, Ohio State's going to drastically outweigh them talent-wise because they've been in top five classes every single year you know, since Meyer came and even dating back before him. And when you do it year after year after year, it accumulates at the top and people – you know, amount to what they amount to. Um, but when you look at Michigan's recruiting, especially like in the uh, middle of Brady Hoke's tenure there, they were recruiting very well. And uh, if you go back and you look at the 2013 class specifically, Ohio State had one five-star, 14, or I mean four, 19 four-stars. Okay, I'm going to say it again so it's clear. 19 four-stars and three three-stars. So I think obviously... Five stars are where the elite of the elite talents are going to come in to play, but the crux of every major college football program is going to be built off of four-star recruits. When you look at the same class in 2013, which now is juniors or sophomores, depending on what you know they did redshirt-wise, Michigan had one five-star in 2013, and that was Derek Green, who's you know kind of struggling in their offense a little bit. But, but Derek Green, a running back from Michigan... That Ohio State could have had, yes, and basically picked Ezekiel Elliott instead. Yes, and that was another five-star kid, so that's that's the wash. But Michigan recruited seventeen four stars that year. Seventeen. I mean, that's that's a very big talent accumulation, and probably most of the players that are starting on their team right now are those guys. So when you look at the classes in between, since two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen, Ohio State's classes have been bigger. And Ohio State has had 15 and 14, four stars and 14 and 15. So that's 29, where Michigan kind of fell off a little bit and only had 14 four stars in each of the past four years. But at the same time, we're not talking about Iowa here, where it's it's a good coach who's bringing a team that doesn't recruit. I mean, getting four star players the way that they are, uh, it's been it, the talent gap is big because Ohio State's always going to have a big talent gap, but it's not as drastic as you would expect. And Michigan and Michigan State are the, the, the two teams behind them right now. Like So when we're talking about, we've written so much about this 2013 Ohio State recruiting class, the current juniors. We called them the Super Softs last year. We compared them to the greatest class in Ohio State history, and they led that team to a national title. Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, JT Barrett, Jalen Marshall, Darren Lee, Vaughn Bell, Billy Pro- Like, you can just run down the list. But if that group... Five stars and four stars, 
for what you had, Ari, I think was 20 in that class for Ohio State in 2013. They had 20 five-stars or four-stars. Michigan had 18 five-stars or four-stars in that same class. And that's the crux of their team right now. So, so that Ohio State class, I think, in 2013, that recruiting class was ranked either first or second in the country. Yes. But Michigan could not have been very far behind. And again, I, I think Ari's point is a good one. Ohio State is ahead of everybody. But if there's any team that might be close, what do you have, Ari? Michigan was fourth in 2013 overall. Fourth recruiting class in the nation from the 247 sports composite rankings. It went Alabama, Ohio State, Florida, Michigan. That is elite talent. So, yes, there's a gap, but it sounds like it's a gap of super elite to elite, not, not super elite to eh, kind of good. The idea that the cupboard is bare does not apply here. Which I think is, that's kind of a prevailing thought I think people have, especially about Michigan's offense, is that they don't have playmakers. And I know maybe if you watch it, it doesn't look that way. But I, like Jehu Chesson is one of the receivers, and Doug and I watched the, the Northwestern game to kind of get a gauge of this, and that guy ran 98 yards on a kicker turn like it was nothing. Um, so I think maybe that Michigan's offense at times... Just because maybe it's the nature of what Harbaugh's trying to do when he's trying to take things slow and install things at a slower rate. I think it looks like an offense that might not be conducive to having explosive playmakers right now, but I think that on a play-by-play basis, there are certainly guys in that offense who are, who are capable of big hits. And in that class is Jordan Lewis, who's, who's well, maybe the best cover corner in the country or one of the best right now. Okay, and Jake Butt, who... Elite tight end. Uh, Devion Smith, their starting running back. Um, and uh, there's a few Ohio guys in here. I, I know Ben Gideon. Ben Gideon. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he plays from Hudson mm-hmm. uh, up in our area, and he, he's definitely a special teams guy. I don't know how much he's done on the defense. Bill, you've watched him I a think little he's, bit more. I think he's starting. Um, and then, um, you know, they have Taco Charlton, and, you know, they've got some guys. It's not like you're, like, looking through, and Shane Morris is the quarterback of that class, and, again, if, if he was a miss, we don't know for sure yet, but imagine if he were a hit, and that's what Nick was talking about. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I think is ailing from a, from a talent standpoint in Michigan. It's the fact they don't have their Harbaugh quarterback yet. And in that class, they were supposed, they supposedly got their guy, but Shane Morris just hasn't panned out. If, if Shane, Shane Morris is a four-star quarterback, if he was even pretty good, and if Derek Green was Ezekiel Elliott, you're really talking about something there. Yeah, so they, so yeah. they hit, you know, they got some highly rated guys, and then I think, Maybe you question player development of some guys in that class, which is if Brady Hoke was recruiting the number four class in the country and also developing them, he would still be the coach. Yeah, something was going wrong. When the player development not happening means you're fired, and he's fired. Meanwhile, player development that means we have to talk about Michigan State, all right? Yeah. But before we do, Bill, uh, one thing I wanted to make a, a direct comparison on here because one of the things I think we're trying to talk about. And again, I guess I'm restating this, is who is the best team in the Big Ten? And Michigan and Michigan State are playing this week, but obviously Ohio State is at the top of that discussion because they're the number one team in the country. But when you see from afar, Bill, when you watch Michigan, do you watch this Michigan team and think, yeah, they're as good as Ohio State, or yeah, they're better than Ohio State? Or do you watch that and still say, no, no? I watched it and still say no, but it was better than I thought it would be. I, and Nick touched on it. I mean, the defense has been good. Even when Brady Hoke was struggling there, the defense was still good. 
the offense is, is just clearly not on par with what Ohio State has going on right now, and I think that's that's the separation for me. I, I mean, you could convince me very easily that Michigan's the second-best team in the Big Ten. I'd buy that, and I guess we'll find out the answer this week. But, no, still too big of a gap there offensively for me to say that, that Michigan is better than Ohio State in any way. Doug's going to get to this point in a minute, but every week Michigan comes out and surprises me a little bit more. Mm. And I think it's been kind of a building factor where we watched, me and you, you and I, sorry, Grandma. Um, <laughs> the Utah, Utah game, it didn't look pretty. I thought I was like, ah, here, maybe it's going to take some time. And then the next week, they beat Oregon State, right? Am I right. thinking about that right? And it's like, okay, well, they just beat a Power 5 team at a conference. It's one step forward. And then, you know, they, they move forward and they... They beat BYU. They beat with, BYU. Yeah. They didn't just beat BYU. They beat the crap out of BYU. And BYU was a team that kept it within seven points. Um Every opponent they played, they were undefeated, and and it was at home. And then, so that was like wow. And then who was the next game? Maryland, I think. Yeah, Maryland was the other team they shut out. Um, And then, and then it built up to Northwestern. Now we don't know. You can always play this game. We do this with Ohio State every year, where you go around. How good is this team? How good is this team? But the fact is, is Michigan has looked like a superior team to some pretty good football teams so far. And one step forward for Saturday, if they go through it, I think if we're having this conversation next Monday and things go the way they could on Saturday, this 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 conversation becomes more and more relevant, more and more real every week that Michigan shows what they're doing. They have, um, just before we move, I was, because I thought this might come up when I saw this on, anyone else on Twitter, I don't know what Reddit is, I don't know how Reddit works, but Reddit College Football on Twitter is interesting to follow. And they put out a thing today of the top 25 teams, which teams have the highest opponent winning percentage. And Michigan is one, two, three, four, fifth um, of the top twenty-five in terms of opponent winning percentage this year. I, I know you're just joking about not knowing what Reddit is because our company owns Reddit, so of course we are very familiar and we use it, I know what it is, all yeah. the time to uh, crowdsource. And uh, do that's they a really? shout out to uh, yeah, shout out do. to Reddit. I think we own it. You did a Reddit for the national championship. I did a Reddit. I had a little Martian thing. Okay, one of the questions, um, and I think it's. Again, it's, it's, it's funny to think about where we are with Michigan right now and what we thought of Michigan before this season. And since the Big Ten doesn't really do a preseason poll that, in any way, we at Cleveland.com take it upon ourselves, we have for the last several years, to serve as the official preseason poll uh, of the Big Ten. And this year we gathered 40 writers from around the league and in addition to having them predict who would win the divisions and who would win the Big Ten, and Ohio State was 40 for 40 with those writers of who's going to win the Big Ten, it was unanimous. Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten championship. I asked them how many wins would Michigan have in the regular season. The average was 7.15 when you averaged all the votes together. Um, Seven wins was the leader with 23 Nine people said eight, and two people said nine. They're going to get the nine, right? Yeah. And now people think they might, they might be yeah, 11 and one. one. Like if you had the ESPN fake project detective yeah. thing, the made-up numbers that ESPN throws at all the time of like, who's going to win each game? I think they think Michigan's going to win every game until Ohio yeah, State. Yeah. So now we went from a prediction of 7.15 wins to are they going to win 10 games in the regular season or are they going to win 11? They've been in like college football playoffs for, for some national guys, I think, haven't they? It, they really have been. And, yeah. and I think now the one thing, I think 
we are simultaneously overrating Utah and Michigan at the same time. One is because Utah's getting credit for beating a Michigan team when I don't know that Jim Harbaugh knew the names of all his players for the first game. <laughs> so the fact that Utah only beat Michigan by a touchdown at home in their very first game when they weren't who they are right now, I think you have to limit the credit Utah gets for that. And then Utah's next best other win at Oregon. It turns out Oregon's not very good. Yeah, Oregon's 3-3. Three and three. And then as a result, Michigan is getting a ton of credit for having their loss be to Utah. When I thought Northwestern was pretty good, they we have to see about Northwestern, you know, but there's a lot of other things with their wins. You can say, well, BYU is worn out. Um, they've come off some big wins. Oregon State's not any good. You know, how good is Northwestern? We don't know. How good we're gonna find out. That was a big cloud we're, of hypothetical. We're stuff gonna there. find out. I do think it's possible that we are overrating Michigan, which I think is a good thing in a backwards, all the way around the circle, 360 degrees. I think in the end, this is good for Ohio State. What you didn't want for Ohio State, if you wanted the Buckeyes to beat Michigan, is a competent, better every week, growing 7-4 and four Michigan team to be actually one of the best 10 teams in the country, but with four losses waiting in Ann Arbor to ruin Ohio State. That's out the window. What we have now is no sneak up. Hmm. Everybody knows Michigan is coming. And so th- this is not going to be some kind of little backwards thing. Oh, the underdog wins the rivalry game. People right now think oh, Michigan, some people think Michigan is better than Ohio State. So I think as it turns out, this could be good for Ohio State because there shouldn't be any questions. You know Michigan's good. Is there any, you asked me the question, so I'll ask the- about if, if Michigan is better than Ohio State, which I think is kind of a preposterous question. So what's your answer to that question? I can't answer yes when you look at the talent. When you look at the talent, I was looking at another. There's a new mock draft on the internet from a different guy every day. Our guy, Dane Brugler, updated his this week. I double-checked it again, and I was doing a thing, Big Ten versus SEC. In the first round, there were nine SEC players. And there were eight Big Ten players. Those eight Big Ten players were five from Ohio State and three from Michigan State. Okay. There's not five from Michigan. You know, this the, the talent gap. Everything you said, Ari, is right. The on-field, experienced, veteran, proven-it talent gap is far too great for me to think Michigan's better than Ohio State. Ohio State hasn't looked great, but they're still the defending national champions that brings basically everybody back. So I think Michigan's been impressive. And I think what Jim Harbaugh has done has been certainly of note. But I'm not necessarily sure I'm ready to throw Michigan in the playoff conversation just yet. And Ohio State's the number one team in the country. So, um, you know, the beautiful thing about all this stuff is that, you know, it's we're going to find out the answer. Um, and um, I think we're going to find out a lot either way about Michigan and Michigan State on Saturday. One thing, and I want to see if you guys agree with this, John Bacon uh, on Twitter in the past couple days, he is an author uh, who is an expert on Michigan football, is an expert on Jim Harbaugh, has another book coming out. And what he has been saying basically is Michigan is much closer to its maximum right now, and he believes Ohio State and Michigan State are both a long way from that maximum. And so as we're evaluating them right now, that is what stands out to him. Do you buy that, Bill Landis? Yeah, I buy that. And part of that, I think, is too, and I don't know the exact numbers or anything like that, but Michigan State has some pretty serious injuries. 
So they're already missing guys that would help them perform at their maximum. And Ohio State certainly has not played at that level when you look at uh, its six games this season. And I think Michigan, what you're saying is maybe the, the Michigan offense is playing about as well as it can just with the guys they have in place right now. And, and Michigan's defenses are playing at a high level all year, so I'm not sure how much room is left there before they hit their ceiling. So, yeah, I'll buy that. I say I agree. You agree with that as well? Yeah. Uh, so, so then let's lead to this question. Um, and, again, you can check him out at John U. Bacon. On Twitter, he's a very interesting follow, just like Nick is uh, when it comes to Michigan football. He, he John tweeted this, and I and I buy this a lot. Um, well, let me ask: Who do you guys think is going to win, Michigan, Michigan State? Michigan, Michigan State. It's in Ann Arbor, right? What we're talking about? Has Michigan played an away game this year? Yeah, Utah. Yeah. I was just joking because it kind of just seems like they've been every week. In the hurricane. At Maryland. In the strike. I am very interested in Mark D'Antonio being undefeated uh, with at least 11 wins in four of the last five years with a dominating record the last couple years against Michigan um, and an underdog. He could be a little brother again. In this game. And so he is, Michigan State clearly in this rivalry has been the big brother. And now all week, Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State gets to play the little brother card. And gets to play the, not that he wasn't going to play it anyway, because all anybody in the Big Ten talked about all offseason was Jim Harbaugh. Understandably, it's what we should have talked about. It's crazy, it's awesome, it's great that he's in the Big Ten. Um but Michigan State's really good at football. And so I think the, the injuries are clearly an issue. Michigan State is missing a lot of very good players. But Michigan State still has Connor Cook. Michigan State has Shalit Calhoun. Michigan State has Ari's guy, LJ Scott, LJ Scott, who's looking really good, Ari. Looks really good. Thunder and lightning. Tell us tell us a little about, about LJ Scott to remind the people what we're talking about. LJ Scott um, is a four-star running back that's from Hubbard, Ohio, Northeast Ohio, uh, that Ohio State was interested in in the beginning of his recruitment, but then uh, they kind of went in another direction when they fell in love with Damian Harris, five-star uh, kid from Kentucky who actually ended up at Alabama. And in recruiting Damian Harris and making him their top priority, I think L.J. Scott took a back seat. Michigan State swooped in, uh, really built a solid relationship, and then Ohio State was just too late to get him at the end, and they took Mike Weber. So uh, L.J. Scott could potentially be Le'Veon Bell uh, in the making. Was which, he Thunder or Lightning? He was Thunder, and uh, George Hill is Lightning. They, his teammate George Hill last year was a junior. They played in the same backfield, and he's committed to Ohio State. Um, on all this stuff, just I mean, it's so fascinating. You wrote about this before, Ari, and Urban Meyer admits it. When you, Ari, wrote a story, is, is Ohio ripe for the picking? When Ohio State takes a national kid over an Ohio kid, that means that Ohio kid's going to go somewhere else probably nearby. This is the perfect example of it. If they never would have chased Damian Harris from Kentucky or Mike Weber from Michigan, they'd probably have L.J. Scott from Ohio. Michigan State wouldn't have either of those other guys, but Mike Weber would probably be at Michigan. Yeah. The recruiting <laughs> puzzle, man. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, it just It's funny because it's like it comes to fruition in front of your face with people that become very familiar names. You're going to be listening to things about L.J. Scott for the next three years, and you're going to keep remembering that Urban Meyer could have taken him if they wanted him early. And it's just the game... Ohio State goes nationally, and when they go nationally, they're the best. But it also makes the teams in the Big Ten good. So I don't, I don't, it's not that I doubt Michigan, 
but I believe in Michigan State, and I believe in the chip on Mark D'Antonio's shoulder. And I think L.J. Scott could be the, the maybe the best offensive playmaker other than the quarterbacks. Connor Cook makes that go yeah. uh, on the field on Saturday. So Bill Landis has Michigan. I'm going to go Michigan State with Ari Wasserman on that wow. panel. With like the caveat right. <laughs> that I picked Northwestern against Michigan last week, and that score was 75 to nothing. Um, before we go, one last important question um, on the Bad Podcast. And again, thanks for listening. You can catch all of our stories at cleveland.com. Ari, how many Sinbad movies did you watch today? I'm just annoyed that Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. That's, can we talk about it for How many seconds? Sinbad movies did you watch I today? I watched two. I watched Houseguest, Ooh. and I watched... Uh, I love Houseguest, by the way. How is <laughs> uh, Sinbad, like, gone from being famous, by the way? The Sinbad, guy is unbelievable. He was on an episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like, three years ago. So he's Was he there. great? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. He's, like, did, hilarious. Did he, did he still wear, like, the Sinbad outfit? No, he was, like, a patient in an insane asylum. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which may or may not be true. <laughs> um, but, like... I like had to like go through this like large tunnel of electronic film renting, and I just like sometimes I think that like we took Blockbuster for granted, we stopped going, and now we could actually use one in society. Yeah. There doesn't have to be one on every corner like there used to be when I was a kid, but like one Blockbuster, like a mega Blockbuster that has every movie ever made. If I want to get a Rodney Dangerfield movie, Ladybugs, I can just figure out a way to just get in my car and go get it and watch it. There are too many great movies out there that you can't watch immediately if you want to when that used to be available to you. Sinbad is from Michigan. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did Ohio... <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when like the first local video store opened in my town and it was like there wasn't every movie in the world there. There were like you know 70 videos on a shelf in a store that used to be at like a house. It was like somebody's living room was was the store there. And, and you went, and it was like, well, 48 of the movies were gone, so you had to pick among the final 22 to see what you wanted to watch. But like the idea now that you can't... Because like I have... What do I have? I have Netflix. I have Amazon Prime. And I think I'm going to get Hulu because I want to watch The Mindy Project. But I don't really know how any of them work. But my impression is that I'm still not going to be able to watch some of the movies I want to watch because, like, if they're not on those things, where are they? Are they are they literally nowhere? I think that you can get the. I just discovered this um this program on uh, my Xbox today where I could search House Guest and rent it for four ninety nine, which is an absurd amount of money to rent an electronic movie that nobody on earth. I'm the only person in the United States that watched House Guest today. There's no doubt that... Sinbad might have watched it. Yeah, but, like, my question is, if I opened up a Blockbuster in Upper Arlington, the way Blockbusters used to be, and I had all the DVDs of all these funny movies, like Big Green, that we were talking about, all these awesome classics that are no longer... Do you think that that would stay in business? People drive to Red Boxes. Yeah, Redbox stinks. And they yeah. stink. There's oh, nothing Redbox. even in there. Like, I'm talking about, like, the awesome movies that, like... If I wanted to watch Silence of the Lambs right now, could I? I think it's on Netflix. It is? I don't know. I mean, it's just a bad... Like, Netflix is, like, hit and miss. Like, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, I'm thankful that Netflix has it. But when they miss, what's the next step? Blockbuster. Were it you doesn't a, exist. Were you a video game rental guy? Not really. I used to go rent video... I would trade... Road Rash? Yeah, every game. I'd get a new game every week. It was, like, Christmas morning, once a week. So what do you do now? Now I buy one game... I spend seventy dollars on it at Target. I play it for three months. I get bored with it, and then I buy another game. Nobody wants to put it in the mail. 
Like, the Netflix thing was a good idea, but nobody wants to mail DVDs. Right. It's more of a pain than going to a video store. And I see, like, every now and then, like, I'll drive up High Street and, like, past Lane Avenue and you go north when you start getting, like, the Dublin-Granville Road area. And, like, there's, like, family movie. There's, like, a, and it's still open? And it's open, but, like, I don't know what it is. Like, right. I don't want to go in there and there be, like, a classy adult section. I, like, you know what I mean? I just want a blockbuster where I know I can go in. I'll give you my membership card. I'll pay the late fee. Because that's the other thing. Redbox's business model is based off of you renting it and not returning it on time. Right. Nobody returns a Redbox on time. No, we're always like running to the grocery right? store like 902 at night trying to like... To make it in time it. to yeah. the extra dollar? I don't think you would be allowed into a movie store that had the word family in it. That would be your problem <laughs> is they would be like, who is this guy in, in a sweatshirt and, uh, and gym shorts? Who's this guy who's clearly our... watching Sinbad movies by himself on a weeknight? Yeah. I don't hey, actually, I, I, I you know you know those stories that we throw together. What's in the background? Come on, you always have silence when you're writing. Or okay, let's be honest. If are people going to read on our site this week a story that you wrote while a Sinbad movie was? Yes. Playing? Wow. Yeah. I watched. Yeah. Movies. I watched The Wedding I, Singer this week. I watch things all the time while I'm writing. We would also like to say that if Redbox or Netflix would like to sponsor our podcast, or Blockbuster, or Blockbuster if you want to, be happy to say. How you are the finest place for movie rentals but in America. You didn't answer the question. I, we, I know we got to cut this off, but would Blockbuster, if there was one location in Columbus, reopen? Would it, would it survive? Uh, yeah. Single Blockbuster, yes. Yeah. Hey, so I think their business model was that it was too big across the country, but a single Ari Buster? Ooh. Like, if I could, like, go call Blockbuster's dead corporate center and just be like, here's the deal. I'm buying it. Don't, nobody else can open it. I would go. I would invest. There's a blockbuster shell in my strip mall, a mile from my house. If is, you want to come is there anything there. in there? No, it's still empty. It has a blockbuster sign on it. Yeah, no, but I'm sure there's like like vines and like there's potential that there's a drug yeah. thing going on. <laughs> what was your local video store called? Variations in video. Wow, that's terrible. Sounds Mine weird. was Video Village. You guys remember oh, Hollywood. Right. So uh, <laughs> mine with a with a play on V is terrible, and your V is great. You yeah. guys remember Hollywood Video? No, yeah. I remember that. West Coast there is still, yeah. in my small town in Pennsylvania, there is still a computer store called uh, the Floppy Disk. Like oh. when computers, <laughs> it is still open and they'll fix your computer. My favorite word <laughs> in the English language, floppy. Mine's coagulate. <laughs> um, so that's the podcast. I always say the podcast. The podcast. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's the bad podcast and a bad ending. Um, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. He's Bill Landis. Ari is in his kitchen. Again, read us. Watch our videos on cleveland.com slash OSU and come back to find us every week for the worst Ohio State podcast (laughs) on the internet. Thanks for joining us one more time.